So um, I was thinking about privileges this week, and I think the first thing that came to mind was, what are the privileges or what are the perks to being the president of the United States? And so I learned a few things. Some of these things I knew, and you probably know too, but one of them is the president makes $400,000 a year. So that's one perk, unless you're so rich you forfeit your salary. Um, They also get $119,000 of travel and entertainment allowance. Also, they get free office space and mailing services. And they get $96,000 worth of office help. They also get the free use of Air Force One, helicopters, and limos. They also have uh, 132 rooms in the White House and a staff of 80 people. And guess what? They also get free medical and dental care. And after they're, when they're done with office, for the president and his wife, they get a free pension. And then on top of that, under federal law, the Secret Service provides protection for every living president until they pass. So you think of not just the Trump family, who else is still around? Carter family. I think both Bush families are still around. So all of them um, still get um, Secret Service protection wherever they go. And for uh, Donald Trump's son, his name is Barron. He, he, I think he's 14 or 15. Um, he gets protection like this from the Secret Service wherever he goes till the age 16. I don't know what you think about these privileges. Some of them I wouldn't mind having. Some of them I um, might not care about. But um, they're not bad. But today I'm going to talk about the privileges, the perks, even way more than perks, and the benefits of being a believer. And so we're going to look at uncommon, really 12 uncommon spiritual privileges believers enjoy. So these privileges are unique to born-again believers, children of God, those who, who follow Christ and confess Christ. And I want to say the privileges that Christians enjoy are way better, far superior than what the first lady and the president or former president enjoy. Okay, we're talking about a privilege that is not um, physical or, or human or earthly, but we are talking about divine privileges, privileges that are connected to the gospel and your relationship with God the Father. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 excuse me 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 10 that Malpoy Briggs just read and from this passage we're going to see just how loaded how privileged we are um, as we think about how rooted we are in the gospel from the apostle Peter okay so <clears throat> Excuse me, if you recall, Peter's audience are Jewish believers. They're exile elects. They, they are being persecuted uh, because Nero blamed the burning of their homes and the buildings on the Christians. Um, <clears throat> so the Christians are, are running for their lives. They're running um, from their homes, their jobs, their livelihood, and they're being scattered. And so Peter is a, an amazing 
apostle. He's thinking about the people. He's thinking about what they're facing spiritually. And he's systematically addressing them um, in terms of their spiritual concerns. So they, they lost their earthly homes and they lost their earthly possessions. And so the first thing he reminds them, or actually he gives them, he says, hey, may grace and peace be multiplied, because I'm sure there's all of this anxiety going on in their hearts and their minds. And so then he says, hey, I know you've lost your, your, your physical home, but I'm going to remind you that I'm going to grant you and remind you of your future inheritance, a future home. And then Peter goes on, and he goes, as these Christians are, are scattered, there's a temptation to act like the world. Um, they're, they're angry, upset, they're missing stuff. There might be a temptation to fly off the handle and get angry at people because they've lost their belongings or the, their earthly treasures. They, they, might, <clears throat> they might be thinking other people are acting ungodly. It gives me a reason to act ungodly too. So he reminds them and calls them out and says, hey, you are to consecrate yourself. You are to exercise an unmistakable holiness. This is what Matthew McGinnis preached about a few weeks ago. And then last week, I talked about just the temptation to, to turn on each other. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And he said, and Peter addresses that. He preempts that and says, hey, no, we are born again. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we share the same Father. So if you're going to turn again, understand you're turning against your brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, and he reminds them that we are born again. We are alive, and we share the same Father. We, we are family. We are an uncommon community. And then last week, I also talked about that we are not just a community that shares the same Heavenly Father, but we are a learning community. We are to grow together. We are to take the spiritual milk of God's Word and go from milk to meet and grow as a community, that we are a learning community. We can't stay sipping a little bit of milk or just thinking that Sunday sermons are going to fill you up for the rest of the week. You don't function that way physically, nor do you function that way spiritually. So that is last week. So we are a community that's called to carefully and deeply study God's Word and to take in God's Word on a regular basis, just like you take in food on a regular basis. And you want good food, solid spiritual food. You don't want spiritual junk food. And today we're going to see how we're rooted together with the same spiritual privileges. So he wants to remind these believers that are dispersed, lacking stuff, they may think, oh, I feel underprivileged. <laughs> Maybe I feel suppressed by, by the government. And there's a sense that that might be true. But I believe Peter wants to capture this moment in time where they're struggling and thinking these thoughts and say, hey, no, you need to fill yourself with truth. You need to fill your mind with spiritual truth. And the truth that he wants them to know and us to know today is that we are spiritually privileged in so many divine ways. And I want you to know that we are so hooked up. And so we're going to look at 12 privileges um, this is probably going to be two or three messages, but I'm going to give you the highlights of the privileges that I see coming out of verses 4 through 10, and it'll set us up for communion today. The first privilege I want you to see is that we are privileged simply to come, to come to Jesus Christ. That's found in verse 4. 
<clears throat> Peter says in First First Peter chapter two verse four, as you come to Him, as you come to Jesus as living stones, you're coming to Jesus Christ, who is the living stone. He is the one that is alive. He's the one that rose from the dead. And so when you come to Him, you come and you <clears throat> you come to Him by faith, and He grants you salvation, forgiveness of sin, redemption as you trust in him and his saving work and his atoning work, as you place your belief in what happened on the cross, <clears throat> believing that he took on the wrath of God, he paid the infinite price that you might live and be forgiven. And so as you continue to walk through this idea of what it means to come to Jesus Christ, I want you to know this is the greatest privilege mankind or any human being could ever experience to come to Jesus Christ, to come to him, all who are weak and weary, so that you might find rest in your soul and your spirit and rest in the life to come. It doesn't get better than this to know that you are spiritually privileged in the sense that you can have your sins forgiven and that God can make you and adopt you as a child of God into his amazing family of faith and grace. This, this word um, coming, this verb coming is a, a Greek compound word that has a prefix that intensifies the word coming. So it's just like, it's not this casual coming or get together. It's this intense closeness, abiding intimacy that Jesus is talking about between himself and every new believer that comes to him and not just every new believer every believer period that has a family relationship an abiding relationship a family relationship with god the father an abiding relationship in union with jesus christ with the presence of god's holy spirit working in and through you so you experience the whole trinitarian effect in your life and so you see, as you come to Jesus Christ, you build your life on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And so that's what's being talked about here. Jesus Christ as a stone, cornerstone is a live cornerstone. We'll look at more of what that will look like in this verse. But I do want to point out, by virtue of the gospel, by virtue of placing your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work, this phrase in verse 4 is true, that... <clears throat> You're a living stone in the sight of God chosen and precious. God has chosen you. I want you to know that you are not second class. You're not to feel like maybe you think about in, in elementary school when they say, hey, let's pick a team, and they pick one, two, three, four, five. You're like the last person picked. When, when, God, when God chooses you, you are the first one picked in his mind. And everyone in God's mind that he picks is like the first person picked. There's not the second, third categories in his mind. You are the first person. You are chosen. You're not an afterthought. You are the primary thought in his sovereign plan to choose to become part of his family. God is well pleased with you in the same way he is well pleased with his very own son when his son Jesus Christ got baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him. He says, I'm well pleased. And so in the same token, Jesus was well pleased with you. 
He also says, Peter says, he, he, he grabbed, Peter obviously spent a lot of time with Jesus and he grabs a lot of concepts from, I believe, his time with Jesus. And he, he recognizes, um, Peter recognizes <coughs> his audience and he says, you are precious. You are of high value. You are rare. You are highly, to, highly prized. You are uncommon in God's sight. So I know this world plays this game, and maybe you play this game, and sometimes we listen to our own feelings. You might feel, I am worthless. I, I am second class. I am worse than second class. I am you know, way down at the bottom of the list. And so what God is saying in Christ's sight, you're precious. And so whenever Satan is playing this mind game on you and says you're worthless, remind yourself that you are priceless in God's sight because of what God has done for you through Christ. And so we also see that Peter does a play on words with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. For those who trust Jesus Christ as cornerstone, yes, that's good news and you're saved. But there are others that will look at Jesus Christ with skepticism, with hard hearts, and they'll see Jesus Christ and see him as a stumbling block. And they will reject Jesus, and Jesus will, in effect, reject them. And so the main privilege that Jesus is talking about right here is that it is a privilege to be saved. It is a privilege to walk and abide with Jesus Christ and to know his presence day by day. So that's the first privilege, simply just to come to him, to come to Jesus. Number two, the second privilege we have is to be in union with Jesus Christ, to be in union with Jesus Christ. So Peter reminds the audience, uh, his audience as they're dispersed, that to have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, you yourselves like living stones. What is what is Peter talking about you yourselves are like living stones. So let's remember when <clears throat> when sinners come to faith in Jesus Christ, they're trusting in Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. But Peter's also calling every believer a, a living stone. You are um, feeding on the life of Christ, the resurrected Lord, and so you, <clears throat> in a one sense, are alive and feeding through the life of Christ, and so. So you are sharing, and you're sharing the union with the life of Christ. And so uh, when you consider <coughs> living stones, you are both, you, both two things happen. Um, <coughs> as living stones, you have been granted eternal life, and two, you have been united with Christ as a stone. And so as Christ unites you um, and forms his spiritual structure, his spiritual building as the cornerstone. God is forming a spiritual building. And so as <coughs> I want you to know, it's a privilege to be a living stone built upon Christ as the chief cornerstone. Um, sometime, <coughs> well, on, on God's side of the equation, he does this perfectly, and that's great because that's how God st stacks up and builds his church on the divine side of what God's doing. On the human side of what God is doing in the local church, um, sometimes I'll say faulty stones get built in and intertwined in the life of the local church. And these faulty stones 
um, <clears throat> become part of the church. And sometimes you have faulty stones in key areas of the church. Maybe it's music or teaching, whatever. And because they're faulty stones, they, they cause problems in the life of the church because we perceive them as a living stone, but they're not. They're <clears throat> and we see that because they show their faultiness and... <clears throat> and brokenness in them, and sometimes it causes corruption and damage in the life of a local church. And so I put that out there to, to beware of that and to recognize there could be faulty stones in the church. Privilege number three. We have a privilege to have access to God as priest. <clears throat> There's, again, Peter... It has a Jewish background. He's very familiar with Old Testament. And there's a lot being said here. I'll read verse the latter part of verse 5. Um, Peter is drawing from his all his experience and his Old Testament knowledge. And he says, that We are living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And so just think about the Old Testament. Um, for the priests in those times to, to go into the holies of holies, they had to prepare themselves. They had to wash themselves. They had to purify themselves. They had to make sure they're super right with God. Every sin is confessed for fear if they would approach a holy God that they would be struck down in the midst of his holiness. So there, it was very important to be um, set apart and to confess every sin. It's not every person that could enter... Um, into the holies of holies as a priest to preach God, to, to approach God in that way. In the Old Testament, it necessitated, necessitated a special access. And so Peter is saying, hey, because of Christ and your new relationship, we have access to Jesus Christ. Um, some, I mean, I'll just say it straight up. I grew up in a Christian family, not non-Christian family that went to a Catholic church. And so my mindset um, in the Catholic churches, I needed a human being, the priest, um, to talk to God. I, I couldn't do that on my own. I needed to go to the confessional and confess all my sins to a human being to, in order to have access. That, that was my thinking. And then when I became a believer, it's like, well, I could talk to God myself. I don't need to go to the confessional and be worried about what priests might do to me. No, I could go straight, straight to the Lord himself. And so that's just a huge deal. And so there's a lot of analogies um, between the Old Testament priest and New Testament priest. I just want to lay them out. I'm not going to get every one. But between the Old Testament and New Testament priests, we see some similarities. Of both, in both priesthood, they're, they're elect, <coughs> and that's a privilege. Both priests in the Old and New Testament want to honor God's word. Both priests in the Old and New Testament walk with God. Both priests in the Old and New Testament are messengers of God. And the main thing I'm trying to draw out here is that both priests in the Old and New Testament have direct access with God. And so sometimes we think it's like a cool thing. We go to a concert or maybe a sporting event. I got direct access to talk to the athlete or actor or someone who's saying, hey, we have direct access access to God himself. And so that is a privilege. <clears throat> and I want you to know in, in other faiths, you don't have direct access. Unique to the Christian faith is God comes down to us. We don't need to earn our way. And because of the work of the cross, we are connected 
in one sense, better than our online service all the time by the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit with God himself. Moment by moment, we have direct access. So that's another privilege we have. And guess what? We don't have to pay for it. We don't have to pay $100 or $50, whatever plan you may have. Christ paid for our direct access that we have with him all the time. Privilege number four, we are privileged to offer spiritual sacrifices. So God is honored as we offer our spiritual sacrifices to him. We see in the last part of verse 5c that we are living stones, that we are, whole, <coughs> we are priesthood, that are called to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. We alluded to this quite a bit in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We are to offer our bodies as living and holy sacrifices to God. And so what Peter is saying is your whole life, all of you, is to be a worship to God. Your, your whole life is an offering to God. And so all of what we do, <clears throat> we are to do according to God's holy word, empowered by his Holy Spirit, and all of our life is to worship him. So when we think about the mission and vision of Rooted Church, we are rooted in the gospel to reflect God's glory. And so as the Lord gives us grace and ability to obey God's word, we are offering spiritual sacrifices to him. As we choose to enjoy the gospel, to equip disciples and communities and engage, and engage RTP, we are offering spiritual sacrifices to him. As we relate to others in the community where we live, where we work, where we play, where we go to school, again, we offer spiritual sacrifices to the Lord God through Christ Jesus. As we think of our, our seven values, unashamed gospel, as we see the gospel as the power unto salvation and see that this same power is changing and transforming us. That is, a, again, a spiritual sacrifice to God as we worship Him individually and corporately, as we live out our undeniable identity as image bearers. Again, we're offering spiritual sacrifices. As we seek to be an uncommon community, that we make efforts to get to know others, older, younger, new or older, like us, not like us, we are forming a uncommon community. And again, that's another way to practically offer spiritual sacrifices. When we make disciples from people who do not know Jesus Christ to those who want to be leaders in the life of the local church and everyone in between, that's another way to offer a spiritual sacrifice that we, we disciple people. We are seeking to multiply God's gospel plan to reach all people. When we preach Christ and the gospel, um, to preach God's word and to evangelistically share and show the gospel again. That's another spiritual sacrifice. And then when we come together and to pray to God and trust him, we are offering our prayers, trusting and believing in God who hears all things and desires to answer prayer according to his perfect timing and his perfect will. And again, this is a privilege to offer spiritual sacrifices. We are so privileged. I, I don't know what it is sometimes. Sometimes we get it. As Christians, we come and we know we're in a good place because of what Christ did. And it's such a privilege just to serve him. 
Um, and sometimes we get in this funk where we think, man, it's such a drag. We think it's a curse to be a Christian. It feels like this. And I would say something's wrong in their, your relationship with Jesus Christ or there's some functional idol that's, that's off. Um, sometimes I think about the things that I consider a privilege as a young kid. And I'm like, that was a privilege? And it's so much better as a Christian. And this sounds silly. This is what I thought about on the way to bed last night. When I was in sixth grade, I counted this as a privilege. I was selected by my teacher um, out of my, my sixth grade class to meet Rayford Johnson. Like, who's Rayford Johnson? He was an Olympic athlete, okay? When I was in sixth grade, my goal was to be an Olympic athlete. I mean, I, I won my school decathlon, and so I figured that would be a stepping stone to being an Olympic athlete. So when I was chosen to meet Rayford Johnson, that was like, the dream for me, and it was to meet him at the special luncheon, to miss school and everything, and to participate with other athletes. And so to me, it's like, man, that's such a privilege. I was so excited. But how much more to, to meet and to engage with the true and living God? That's not just what a privilege. That is the privilege that, of, of all privileges that we get to participate in. Number five, privilege number five. We are privileged to, to be secure in Christ Jesus. Um, in verse 6, it said, Peter says here, as he recognizes his audience may feel insecure. And so he says this, for it stands, he's pretty bold here, for it stands in Scripture, beholding, I am laying in Zion a stone, a corner stone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There's really a lot to be said here, but I know we have communion and we want to try to do some other stuff. But I do want to at least point out this one basic truth. The security that we have is in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And so with Jesus Christ as a cornerstone, the perfect stone, he sets everything in place for his church everywhere. The right angle, the right direction, the right establishment, all perfectly aligned. And so that is necessary as the primary stone to set the security, the foundation for the rest of Christ's church to be built upon him as the flawless cornerstone, the main stone. And if you do that, you have nothing to worry about. <coughs> And definitely don't have worries about being put to shame. And so we know that we're also secured in, a, in another related verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, from whom the whole body join, and listen carefully, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so I want you to know that God is at work building his church upon his son, Christ the cornerstone. Privilege, and again, it's a privilege to have this type of security in Christ Jesus. Um, it's better security than any insurance company could ever offer you in this life. We have the best security of all. Privilege number six, um, we are privileged to honor 
Jesus Christ. We are privileged to honor Jesus Christ. In verses 7 and 8, Peter points this out very plainly. He says, so the honor is for you who believe. It is an honor, my friends. It is an honor for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, guess what? They will one day be put to shame and dishonor when they reject Christ and meet God on Judgment Day. And so Peter goes on, the stone that the builders reject has become the cornerstone and the stone <clears throat> and a stone, a stumbling block and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and they are destined to do. So there's a lot here, but I just want to draw two ideas here. It is an honor. It's a high privilege. It's of great value, according to the NASB, to, to believe. <laughs> this is an honor and privilege. It's the greatest privilege of all. There is no greater privilege to become a child of God, to be justified by faith alone through Christ alone. The opposite is also true. If you don't come to Jesus Christ, it's probably the greatest shame that you'll ever experience to be outside of God's grace, to be outside of God's plan. And so for those who disobey God's word, the contrast is true. Um, rather, <clears throat> to be safe in the hands of God, they'll be destined to doom, not because God elect them to be doomed, but primarily on the basis of their own disobedience and unbelief, they will get what they functionally deserve. And so, so point number six, or privilege number six, it is a privilege to honor God, and the contrast is scary. Um, <clears throat> privilege number seven is a privilege to be a chosen race. It's a privilege to be a chosen race. <sighs> this is frustrating. There's a lot of talk about race these days, but I just want to say this much. There's only two races in the Bible. There's only two races in the Bible. There's the race of Adam, a fallen race that's in need of redemption and mercy. The only other race is the redeemed race found in Jesus Christ. This other stuff about critical race theory and all that stuff, that's worldly hogwash. Think in terms of biblical terms, church, okay? That stuff out there is to dupe you, trick you, manipulate you, and make you think in unbiblical terms. Think in biblical terms, church. There's a fallen race that badly needs Jesus Christ to be part of a redeemed race, a chosen race. Those are only two races that we need to think about. I don't know how to say it any better than that. We get so duped. Christians have gone this way and that way, thinking that there's this repressed group and the suppressor group, and you're part of this group, and so you're, you're a problem in this society because you're suppressing other people, and then you're a victim of society because you're getting repressed by these other people. My friends, the gospel is the answer to all of this. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the gospel is the answer to race issues? My friends, the answer has to be resoundingly yes if you're a true believer. Yes, yes, yes. We are a chosen race. We're not a snobby race. Okay? We are a chosen race with privileges, with great privileges, with the greatest privileges, guess what? Comes great need for 
faithfulness. Yes, I know we have some comic guys and people. I'm into that stuff. And so if you're in a Spider-Man, I get it. With great, with great power comes with great responsibility. With the church and the gospel, with great privileges, needs and necessitates great faithfulness. In light of the gospel, my friends. So that's privilege number seven. It's a great privilege too be a chosen race. Number eight, it's a great privilege to be a royal priesthood, okay? Um, we are royalty, and it's a privilege to serve the King, Jesus Christ. I don't know what else to say there, but that we are royal priesthood in that sense. Privilege number eight, we are privileged as a holy nation. Um, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, a lot of this stuff is, comes from that section, the holy priesthood, and now the holy nation. Israel, in one sense, had the inner track, the inner lane, if you would. Um, they were first in line, but they forfeited it by their disobedience. And so and God, in his economy, um, set, saw his gospel to go forth to the Gentiles, and he's going to circle back. We understand that. But for, for what we're talking about, light of the New Testament, light of the new covenant. We are a holy nation. We have been set apart. We, are God, we have been granted God's perfect righteousness to practice this righteousness as a holy nation in an unholy world. This is, we are a privileged and unique people of God. And so that brings us to the next idea here. We're privileged number 10. We are privileged as God's special people. We're a chosen people. We are a holy nation. We're also a special people in verse um, 9c. Okay, so as Sinai, God promised the Israelites, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commands, then you shall be my possession among all peoples, according to Exodus chapter 19, 15, and also Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 and 7. Again, this is a foreshadowing of Peter's truth right here. And what Peter is saying here is for, <coughs> for now, in the present, whose people Peter is addressing, for now <coughs> you are people for his own possession. We are a people for Christ's own possession. We belong to Christ. We belong to God. We have been redeemed and, and purchased by the ultimate, by an infinite price by Jesus Christ as he gave his life for us. He purchased us that we might be his once again. He redeemed us. He ransomed us. There are so many verses in the Bible that talks about how God came to ransom us out of the slave market of sin. I'm just going to give one in Titus chapter 2, verses 13b through 14. It says here that God and our Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people of his own possession. God has redeemed us and made us a people, a special people of his own possession. For what purpose? Well, people who are zealous for good works. That is so cool. God has redeemed us. He's made us useful when we're once, I'll basically say useless in our sin. And, but he's made us priceless in his sight. He's made us a special people that we belong to. And he says, now that I made you priceless in his own possession, hey, 
Go out there and do some amazing good works as I work in and through you, that you may glorify God. Privilege number 11. We are privileged to be proclaimers of Jesus Christ. This is found in 1 Peter 11. Excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2D, the last part here. So we are children of God. We are privileged, chosen, holy priesthood, and we are unique people that are to do what? We are to proclaim the excellencies of him, the excellencies of Jesus Christ, who called you out of who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, as I study, is this interesting? This word proclaim. Is nowhere found in the New Testament. It's unique to this one verse. And it means to tell forth, to speak of something that was otherwise unknown, but has what? Been made known. The mystery of the gospel has been made known. And so Peter is saying, hey, don't hide this. Don't be ashamed of this. He says, proclaim, speak forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has done an amazing work to call you out of darkness into his marvelous light, that you would speak about it. And I want you to know, we all speak about what we value and what we treasure. If you treasure something, you talk about it a lot, okay? So if you treasure, you know, these TV shows, you talk about it a lot. If you treasure certain stocks, you'll probably talk about it a lot, if you treasure like this clothing brand, you'll talk about it a lot. If Jesus is your greatest treasure, you will talk about it. It'll just bleed out of your mouth. And so I want you to know that Jesus is the greatest treasure. Sometimes our mind thinks, uh, plays games on us to think otherwise, but he is the greatest treasure of all treasures. And he's made you and put you in a place of infinite worth to serve him and granted you with these amazing privileges to proclaim his excellencies. And so I, I think of the Christian life this simple. God has saved us. That's done deal. God is sanctifying us. That's a process. Um, God has sent us. That's ongoing. And one day God will deliver us in the life to come. But now in the present, our focus is this process of how he's sanctifying and how he has sent us to share and spread this good news over and over. And lastly, privilege number 12. We are privileged to receive or to have received mercy. Um, Peter makes a double contrast here, two powerful contrasts here in verse 10. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. That's a huge contrast. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. You, <clears throat> at one time, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Every human being is born in a very bad situation. We, we are born sinners. We are born in need of mercy. We are born with judgment hanging over our head, storing up wrath day after day after day after day as we run our hell-bound race in rebellion against a holy God, building up more and more wrath. I forget one theologian talked about as a, a, a dam, and more and more wrath is building up behind this dam. And if your foot would ever slip in the life to come, 
in the next life, this wrath will be poured out upon you. And so this passage is basically saying, before holy God, we are in need of mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We all deserve God's holy wrath. But if you trust in Jesus Christ, this wrath is averted on to Jesus Christ who bore all the wrath for us. This is what Easter is about. It's not the bunnies. It's not the eggs and all that stuff. But we will utilize those things to leverage holidays for the sake of the gospel. Why not? Okay? Be all things, all people that somewhat might come and follow Christ. But he's referring to these people as those who what? Have received mercy. You are people who have received mercy if you trusted Jesus Christ. And so there's common grace to all people. and We experience common mercy in a general sense. But for those who trust Jesus Christ, experience special or specific mercy where their sins are forgiven. You, you're, you're, the wrath of God is averted from you in the life to come to Jesus Christ. And so, my friends, I want to leave you with two applications and we'll pray for communion. Some of us are in a dangerous place right now because you have not received mercy. You, you are just thinking like, I have tomorrow, I'll get to it when I get to it. I want to urge you right now to turn your life to Jesus Christ so that you might receive mercy. For those who know Jesus Christ, those who have received mercy and experienced his goodness, I want you to know that you are privileged. You have far more privileges than Donald Trump and his wife. What you have makes what he have has so little in comparison. You have this amazing privilege, and God calls you to high faithfulness. And so in light of all these privileges that you have, the privilege that you have come to Jesus Christ, you're in union with Christ, that you have access as a priest, um, you're able to offer your life as spiritual sacrifices, you're secure in Christ, it's a privilege to honor Christ, it's a privilege to be chosen, to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people, a proclaimer of Christ, and to have received mercy. My question is, very simply, what? Are you going to do with these privileges? Are you going to hoard it to yourself? Or are you going to share it with others around you? At this time, I'm going to call up Brother Matthew as he reminds us of these privileges as we participate in communion. Brother Matthew, where are you? God, we just thank you for these privileges. Help us to count everyone day by day and know how to exercise them and embrace them for all that they are. For us, your church, your body, as your chosen, chosen race. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.